0: Hey, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whatever time it is by you. Welcome to Line Drive Radio. We're hoping your favorite baseball podcast. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the board here on Long Island in New York, home of the boogie-down Bronx, Yankees, and the Mets over there in Flushing. It's time to bring on my LDR teammate from the great city of Chicago, home of the White Sox and the Cubbies, Mr. Tab Bamford. Tab! What is going down in chi Town?
1: Well, at uh, the trade deadline earlier this week, absolutely nothing.
0: Woo-hoo!
1: Uh, no, I, and we'll spend a little time rapping about the the trade deadline, and I think you know we're going to focus a little bit on the those that were more quiet than we anticipated. Uh, we aren't going to be the eight thousandth podcast to jump up and down and scream because Juan Soto. Was rented by the uh, or potentially, you know, maybe we'll call it a lease to buy option here uh, by the San Diego Padres. But there were some teams that made us scratch our heads until we had a solar panel and back. So, um, but yeah, it was it was an interesting week in Chicago because I, I think a lot of people thought that something significant would happen on both sides of town, uh, and it didn't for either team. There were some interesting minor moves, but the big deals that everyone thought would happen on both sides of town never materialized and that was fascinating to watch play out and and see uh how everyone from the organization of the fans responded to the lack of significant activity from both the Cubs and White Sox
0: yes I don't know it was I guess all in all I mean you know we were, I, I guess I was trying to hype it up here last week as uh, everybody looking forward to this thing and you know, with the wild card and everything else. And I don't know, when it's all said and done, it just wasn't really overwhelming. Maybe I'm taking that, say, from a Yankees fan. You know, I think, you know, individually you come from, you know, who's your team? How did they improve themselves? What did they do? And then, yeah, as a baseball fan, you're, you're looking across the board and saying, it was a lot of movement. And I guess there was a, obviously a ton of focus on uh, Soto. But it didn't really make me go, oh, my God, wow, what a trade line or whatever. I mean, what did you think? I mean, outside of the Soto thing, was there anything, you know, that really stood out for you that somebody else, another team did? I mean, obviously, we talked about it last week. Seattle was doing that, that big uh, trade for Castillo there in the beginning. But uh, how do you think the rest of the, 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 the trade deadline panned out for you, I guess, emotionally, Tab, as a baseball uh, fan?
1: So a couple things. Uh, emotionally? Uh, I was conflicted watching the Cubs because the expectation and anticipation was that if once Soto was traded and if Shohei Otani was traded, the next biggest name really from a non-pitcher perspective that would go was Wilson Contreras. And he's a guy that fans absolutely adore in Chicago. He loves playing here. He's been very open about never wanting to leave. He's in the final year of his deal. Qualifying offer would cripple him financially in a lot of ways, and we won't get into the real nitty-gritty of how that works out because if the Cubs give him a qualifying offer and he doesn't accept it, that's going to limit what he can do as a free agent on the open market because the team would have to give up a pick, and all the Cubs get is a B-level compensation pick for him leaving. But, you know, the fact that he didn't go, I loved seeing him run out on the field in St. Louis pumping his fist because he stayed. We've talked about this. I long for the day that players were war one Jersey in every sport for their entire career. You really don't see that much anymore. Um, And so seeing him stay, I think was nice. Uh, He's had a nice series in St. Louis thus far. So, you know, the weight off his shoulders, I think, has helped him bounce back at the plate. Uh, batting, not catching. And so, you know, that was interesting. On the White Sox side of the city, uh, they needed to shake things up because the offense has been stagnant. Tony LaRussa, if you didn't see that little video of him falling asleep on the bench, it looked like <laughs> before a game even started. Like, they're literally doing the, like, we'll be back to give you the lineups brought to you by so-and-so. And he's, like, nodding off on the side of the dugout. And it went all over the place. but. They traded their third-string catcher who was their best defensive catcher to get another bullpen, I mean, that was it. You're like, dude, you get, you're getting nothing from second base. You've got two first basemen playing your corner outfield spots most of the time. Your number one catcher, Grandal, your manager uses as a DH 95% of the time. So for anybody that carries three catchers, the White Sox actually kind of made sense because he refuses to put Grandal behind the plate even though he's got the biggest contract in team history. So, you know, it's one of those, like, I appreciate the GM going with the ride or die because this is who we got mentality, but you're chasing Cleveland who didn't do anything to help themselves. But Minnesota was really active and aggressive. Mm -hmm. And I I was impressed by what they did, but there were a few other deals that I thought really blew me away. And for me, it wasn't necessarily the Soto deal, which was, again, we're talking the Herschel Walker trade in baseball. They traded, elite talent like if you were going to jump start a franchise what Washington did with Juan Soto and it feels stupid and counterintuitive to trade a 23 year old but to go get four or five guys who could be a big impact on your organization within 12 months um, baseball is a team sport if you have let's say 35 or 40 plate appearances in the game Juan Soto is only going to have four or five of them so to be able to add the amount of depth that they did made a lot of sense, but them going out and getting Brandon Drury, who's having a, a great career year from Cincinnati, as a depth piece who can play all over the field and DH form a little bit. By the way, hit a grand slam in his first game with the Padres. Instant payoff. Yeah, was was a fascinating one. And then the Padres getting Josh Hader from Milwaukee, like if you you talk about going for it, they went and got maybe the most dominant closer in baseball. He's had some hiccups this year. He's given up a lot of home runs. A lot of those home runs that he's given up were kind of in like a seven, eight-day stretch, but you go and get a dominant closer. You go get one of the – you know a guy that people are already billing as a Hall of Famer at 23, which feels hyperbolic until you look at what his numbers mean and rationalize them against historic performers. And then to go get Drury, I, I love what they did. And if you're the Dodgers, you're like, you know what, we've got what we got. The Dodgers throwing your Yankees a bone and taking Joe Gallo. I don't understand that at all. It's like, hey, we need we need a six foot five left handed hitter who barely makes any contact, whose name isn't Cody Bellinger because we already have someone who's doing that. Let's go get Joey Gallo and we'll stack two guys who are barely hitting Tab's high school body weight. <laughs> who if they actually barrel one it'll go seven hundred feet. But they do
0: that like once a month right now. So Tab hey, like on that I'm on the- that real quick, I just hit stop it, but on the Gallo You know, when when a player's – I mean, unfortunately – I mean, I love the guy personally. Um, Yankees gave him a shot here. He's definitely on on the decline of his career here. Where where do guys like this usually end up? I mean, how much time does Joey have left? I mean, do you look at him – because, you know, I'm asking you, because you've been covering the game for years. And, you know, when you see players come and go and then they have their – their run, and then you get up in the age, and then you see this, like, they you know, he had so many at-bats. He just couldn't he couldn't do anything. So, you see this kind of trade, you're, and you bring it up. Why would the Dodgers take him? Why would anybody take Gallo right now? So, let's say he gets a couple at-bats here, and the Dodgers get into the playoffs, and one way they do. You know, a buddy of mine the other day was saying oh, watch this come back. The, the Gallo's going to have, like, a, a moment against the Yankees in the World Series. And I was like, well, dude, that would be a great situation to be in because that means we're in the World Series. But, exactly. Um, Wh where, where does a guy like Joey Gallo go? And guys like this who are starting to just can't hit the ball anymore at this level, I mean, is – I guess I'm, I'm what I'm getting here is when does a major league baseball's uh, – major leaguers' career start? The writing on the wall is like, hey – this might be over, or just because of the trades here the last two seasons with Joey Gallo, does he just, you know, he ends up somewhere, whether it's Arizona next year, he keeps playing. I mean, you know where I'm coming from here. What's going on with Joey Gallo and players like this who get like this in their career where they just don't have the mojo anymore?
1: Well, I will say this. My pause on a big chunk of that take is the reality that, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but not every player is built between the ears, for the lights at Yankee Stadium. And if you've watched ESPN series, The Captain, which I think has been magnificent, uh, on Jeter, what you find is that he was a different animal, right? There are very few people, we're talking like the Michael Jordans and Kobe Bryants of the world, that are built the way that Derek Jeter was. And you don't have to be Derek Jeter to succeed with the Yankees, but because I'm not, I'm not sure that I would put Aaron Judge in that same class, for Giancarlo Stanton in that class, but there's some guys that just aren't ready for or understand how bright the lights are and how deep the scrutiny is at Yankee Stadium. And it's a completely different animal than the Mets. Same city, right? And it's different than any other team in Major League Baseball. There is no other market. And with all due respect to the Dodgers, their fans show up in the third inning. They leave in the seventh. We'll blame traffic. I think it's because they got better things to do. And if you look at the weather out there, hard to argue with that. Um, but it's different because if you're if you are in the lineup for the New York Yankees, unless you wear number two, I would say in the last thirty years, nothing you do is good enough. Maybe maybe yeah. Let's go thirty years. Because I think I think there were there were elements of Mattingly, but that was more than thirty years ago. But like since since Jeter came in, the only guy that could do no wrong. And there were even times that people were like, "Man, his defense sucks," and you know he's asking for too much money. So towards the end, there there was a, a small slice, there was a small element in the New York media that started to chip away at the facade for Jeets. But their are guys, Randy Johnson. Remember that debacle? He went to New York, and he's getting into it with photogs and paparazzi, and he's running his mouth, and he's miserable. He wasn't ready for New York for the Yankees, part of New York. Sonny Gray went to the Yankees. Oh my gosh, he, he's he's washed, and he's had a nice career since. Right? The Yankees part of Randy Johnson's career didn't keep him out of the Hall of Fame. So the bet here is that Joey Gallo getting out of those bright lights. Gets him an opportunity to go back to being a guy who takes more pitches, doesn't feel like he has to try and hit a home run every time he swings, um, doesn't feel like he has to win games by himself, even though with that lineup he shouldn't feel that way. But the pressure builds. I, I mean, look, Gary Sanchez is having a really nice year for the Minnesota Twins. And he dug himself a hole defensively, and the offense suffered because of it. And he was; it never really worked there. And he became kind of the focal point of everyone's angst about the team, right? It was you—you were either complaining about Aaron Boone or you were complaining about Gary Sanchez. And the only one that can change the narrative is the player, because the manager puts him out there. He doesn't actually go swing the bat or throw the ball, right? So the Dodgers are banking on Joey Gallo finding something in a more comfortable environment that isn't the lights at Yankee stadium. So that's my pause. However, I think that you've reached a point with him where the all or nothing becomes a real struggle. He's been an Adam Dunn like player for a number of years. So the Yankees bringing him in, I think they needed more left-handed bats. He was probably viewed more as a platoon DH when he was brought in last year. And then they went and got Rizzo as well, and I think Rizzo was the better add, and I would prove that out that he's been great for the Yankees, magnificent. Um, So now that they've got guys like Benintendi in the mix, uh, Aaron Hicks has been able to stay healthy pretty much, knock on wood, because obviously I just said it out loud, so I screwed it up. Sorry, Yankee fans. (laughs) Um, But with Rizzo, you don't, you're not. Most the fans want him on the
0: bench anyway.
1: (laughs) Right. But, but you're not forcing the need left-handed bats narrative anymore, right? Because you've got a little bit more balance, and Rizzo's able to go out there every day and do his thing for the most part. So there was a necessity for more left-handed bats because they literally had none last year. It didn't work, so you move on. And good for the Yankees for finding a way to, to get him out of there. And I think what you've seen in the last couple days, too, is, you know, last night the Boston Red Sox announced that Jackie Bradley Jr. has been released. Because on the field, they didn't know where they were going to put him, right? So there's some really hard decisions with some guys that have a pretty good name brand. I mean, Jackie Bradley Jr. has been a fan favorite for the Red Sox and a great defensive outfielder, but the bats are nowhere to be found. So this is where you know we're at with baseball is you've got some general managers and some front offices that are making hard decisions to just punt dead weight instead of continuing to, to live the pipe dream that it's going to help them or be anything, for that matter, and taking almost nothing in return. In the Red Sox case, zero. They released him. So, uh, so with the Gallo thing, I wish him the best. I, I think it was he's talked in a couple places about how hard it was to be in New York and it be able, you know, walking down the street and have people asking him what the hell is wrong with him constantly, and I can't imagine that life. So, uh, I think it was a, a brilliant, savvy move by Cashman to find anyone anywhere that would t- take him. And I really don't know what the Dodgers were thinking in, in bringing him in because, again, he and Bellinger are kind of in the same spot right now. Big lefties, long swings, hit it a country mile if they made contact, but they're not doing that enough. So it feels a little redundant for the Dodgers to bring in a guy who's doing the same thing at the plate that Cody Bellinger is. The difference is Bellinger's been there the whole time and he was an MVP candidate in the recent past, and Gallo looks like he's washed. So – very interesting to see how that plays out for the Dodgers, especially in light of that being their most significant move. And the Padres, who, again, they're not going to catch them, but they're probably going to get them in the playoffs. And I don't think anybody, especially when Tatis comes back, I don't think anybody wants to do that dance with what San Diego's bringing to the table. Because with Darvish and Musgrove and the other arms that they got now hater at the back end, I don't think anybody wants that in a series. Nobody, even the Dodgers.
0: Yeah, they went uh big boy Tom. And uh I love it. I mean it's any anything to kind of stir the pot there a little more in the West and the National League is uh is good for me. Um and and, and and while we're talking about San Diego, you wanna jump into the Soto thing here and, and, and how you feel that whole thing turned out?
1: I think that there are teams that needed him and should have gone for him that made calculated business decisions that uh will backfire miserably. Specifically, I think if you're the St. Louis Cardinals, the idea that you know they reportedly didn't want to give up uh, Dylan Carlson to make a deal. If you look at where the Cardinals are at right now immediately with the final year of Molina, Wainwright, Pujols, that's the storybook ending that you want. With all that money coming off the books, they undoubtedly could afford Soto with where they're at age-wise, with what they've committed financially to Arenado and Goldschmidt. Having Soto to be there through their careers if they got an extension done and then carry the thing forward made a lot of sense. As a someone that supports the Chicago Cubs, I'm thrilled that they felt like they didn't want to pay the price for him because – that would have been devastating because they would have become a juggernaut in a really bad division. Um, but look, San Diego's all in, and I love that. Um, you want mid-market teams, and I would consider San Diego to be a mid-market team even though they're printing money right now with the way that they've collected young pieces and you know gone about things over the last pr- really three years. If you go back to adding Machado, Um the, the total sum of what they've done to build, overhaul everything about that, that team is impressive. But, you know, we've talked about wanting to see mid-market teams like the Twins and the Padres. When you get that close, push your chips in and go. And the Padres did it. And to a lesser extent, the Twins did it. And I give the Twins full marks because they went out and loaded up on pitching. They got a lot of stuff that they're going to be able to augment their rotation and their bullpen with. I think Pablo Lopez, the closer out of Baltimore, was a great add for them. You know, Mealy out of Cincinnati is going to be a really good add for them. I don't think that anyone's afraid of that rotation. I don't think anyone's necessarily fearing that lineup, but you want to see them at least make it more competitive. And so for me, the three biggest winners at the deadline were Seattle getting Castillo, Minnesota with what they did, and immediately number one at the top of the list is San Diego, not only because they went and got it, again, a 23-year-old that people are saying is a future Hall of Famer, but also the Drury ad, the hater ad. You know, I think there's just so many pieces there that they did to really put together a really, really impressive roster for a postseason series that they are clearly in it to win it. So, you know, the old cliche is prospects are cool, parades are cooler, and they're in it for the parade. And I give them full credit for doing that because, look, they gave away – a lot of A-plus talent. Top 100 prospects for days. They completely emptied the cupboard. But when you're trading a 24-year-old pitcher who's just getting to the major league level for a 23-year-old who's got a ring, a batting title, and multiple all-star games and a home run derby championship under belt, it, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, let's f- switch back to last week's episode when we were talking about how the wild card is different this year, and I think it changes everything. You know, the Yanks got a nice taste of the Mariners here this last couple of games, and they're going to see them again next week. And when you look at the wild card, I mean, Seattle doesn't give a crap about the division right now. You know, that don't matter to them. They, they, You know, they, but here's what's interesting about that, though. They're, it's
1: just Seattle's in the exact same spot as the Padres, right? Well, I, this they're is not, what I'm trying to... They're not going to win
0: their division, but they want to be positioned...
1: Yes. for when they get in,
0: yes. to do damage. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying here. And Seattle, like I said, they've, all they've got to do really here is, is you know play a good second half of the, the season here with, with the pieces they've moved and everything else. And they look pretty damn good the last couple of nights against the Yanks. And Without
1: Julio Rodriguez, by the way.
0: Exactly. Um, so you know you look at the Wild they just they just want to get in. And they're in a good position to get in. And once they do get in, and if they're healthy... And, you know, we've, we talk about this all the time, you know. You've got a, a couple of hot pitchers there and a couple of hot bats, and you can – anybody can beat anybody uh, in a given day. Yep. And, and now you look at the Padres, right? doesn't matter where they are in the division right now. It matters where they are in the wild card. They just need to get in. And everybody. And I'm sure I, – I, Padres and uh, Dodgers are playing each other this weekend, I believe. I think. think so. I mean, that's going back to how it was. Remember the series that they played against each other last year? how much fun the Dodgers and the Padres' rivalry is, it's back, baby. Mm-hmm. It is back. And if the Padres, they're gonna, if they, they're going to get in, that's just going to be unbelievable playoff baseball if, if these teams get in now with the monsters they have, obviously, at, in the Padres' lineup. At
1: Dodger Stadium tonight.
0: Boom. There you go.
1: And, and, you know, if you're the Dodgers, you're comfortable, right? You're winning that division. Yeah, but yesterday might have been the worst case scenario for the Dodgers with Kershaw leaving after four innings because his back's his back flared up. Right? They don't know if they're getting Walker Buehler back, so now they're looking at Gonsolin, Urias, and kind of. This is what makes the Dodgers great: is they just find guys on the scrap heap or guys in the minors and they just throw them out there and somehow it works. Right? But if they want if you're the Dodgers you look at everything that went on with San Diego and the vibe that they have right now and the mojo that they've got going forward and Kershaw leaves after four innings with a, and it's the back and it's it, 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 you've got to be anxious if you're wearing Pantone 294. And,
0: and we love it. And the Padres love it. This is what you want. You want anxiety and tension and just all of that stuff going on in Dodger camp, right? Because they're the team to beat, quote-unquote, right? As far as, you know, you know, there's all the Mets up there as well, too. But, um, but as far as, you know, where you're going with this, I mean, this is what's so much fun about at least what the Padres did at the trade deadline.
1: Yeah, and and I think here's the other thing that really fascinates me as you get in and start talking about these playoff series, right? Because there are teams that match up really well against each other and there are teams that don't. Obviously, Minnesota has had some kind of a bugaboo with the Yankees. They haven't won a game against the Yankees in the playoffs in like 47 years. So they can't get over the hump. Seattle, similarly – it feels like they just can't beat the Astros right now. But Seattle, after getting their tails handed to them by the Astros, going to Yankee Stadium and win a couple games in pretty impressive fashion, again, without Julio Rodriguez. And you sit back and you're like, man, now what? And then you look at what some of these teams are going to get back. And right now, as we talk, the three wildcard teams in the American League are Toronto, Seattle, Tampa. And the biggest player that's going to come off the injured list at some point here in the American league for me is going to be uh, Wander Franco who changes everything for Tampa. But I don't think there's anything about Tampa that makes a Yankee fan sit up in their seat and say, Holy crap. Now what? If you're Seattle, you're like, man, we got to get out of it. We got to get away from Houston. And right now they're two and a half games back at Toronto for the top wild card slot. And I think if you're Seattle, you're more focused on getting in front of Toronto than you are anything else. Because they've got a a two-and-a-half game lead on Baltimore and Cleveland uh, in the wild card, which is a complete aside. I was fascinated that Baltimore sold at the deadline when they're only two games out of a playoff spot. And they've been hot for the last couple weeks since the All-Star game. Because it's the first time that they've been decent in a long time. They're three games over 500 as we talk right now after winning their last three. They've won seven of their last ten. But Mancini goes, they trade their closer. It's like, part of me is like, why wouldn't you go look at maybe adding a veteran with some term left? So that when you get a guy like Grayson Rodriguez up to the majors, you've got something to balance it out. Maybe they're like, you know what, we're, we're going to do right by Trey Mancini because he's been such a big part of the worst period in Baltimore Orioles history, they were going to give him a chance to go get a ring in Houston. But even he acknowledged, you know, it's hard to leave an organization that helped him get through cancer, right? So Baltimore selling was an interesting one for me. Um, and they're sitting there between Cleveland and Chicago in the American League wildcard. And Cleveland and Chicago really didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what the hell Boston's doing. No, no freaking clue.
0: I don't care what they're doing. How about that? that, I don't care.
1: (laughs) I mean, you should be entertained as a Yankee fan because you trade Vasquez in Houston to the Astros after he sits through the pitchers meeting and the hitters meeting. So he literally goes down the tunnel after an awkward, hey, media, I'm going to go change shirts. I'll be right back. And knows your exact game plan for the entire series. So that feels like you're going to start to sell. All the vibe has been that you're going to sell. And then you go get Tommy Pham. And then you go get Eric Hosmer. And it's like, why? For what? (laughs) You're pounding sand. So if you're going to sell, sell. Don't bring in old guys. And look, even if San Diego's paying all of Hosmer's contract, which it sounds like they are, for me, why would you bring a guy back with two more years of term who's going to block other people at first base unless you're going to DFA him at some point, which, again, makes it a completely worthless deal? I, I, I see no point in the Red Sox bringing Eric Hosmer in. And, I, look, Fam, I get. Nice player. Uh, Heim Bloom, their GM, knows him from when he rebounded really nicely for a year in Tampa. But, again, to what end? You're not gonna make the playoffs this year. Your entire division, including Baltimore, is in front of you. And they're all playing better than you.
0: They well, I mean, they're done. They don't care. But, this this season's over. why would a why would a washed
1: team bring in washed players? Is my point. It's uh, completely counterintuitive.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I love New England. Um I love going up there. As far as the Boston Red Sox are concerned. <laughs> You know, it's a Yankee fan. And you know what? We're, we've got, you know, the Yankees and, you know, our fans here and stuff. You know, after losing two to Seattle here and, and after the trades here, it's 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 funny not to even, we don't care about anybody else. It's it's like, you know, uh, and real quick, just to swing back to, to Gallo and guys who can make it here in New York and stuff. And, you know, there's definitely a, you know, Yankee fans carry this, you know, 27 title thing with us the old, you know, the lore, the history of the franchise, everything else. You know, we're only 11 years away, from, you know, from our last championship and the teams in the 90s, and then we had the teams in the 70s. So there's a lot of winning. I mean, we, we try and, like, <laughs> I can picture what the Bo Sox are to us now. We're blocking them out because it's like the 80s for the Yankees. We just kind of block out the 80s, and yeah. you, just, you just move on. But I, I don't know. I guess maybe – you know, we've gone back and forth on this, and I brought this up last week. Is how do GMs make this kind of move? What do they do here as far as where they are now, where they are in the standings about getting to the playoffs, and then obviously money, finances, and as far as moving forward to the next few seasons. So maybe Boston, and I know ha I can only think it's it's got something to do with money, and you know whoever is coming in now is is not going to be with the team in the next year or two because. Boston's got a bigger problem than, say, whatever they did at this deadline as far as I'm concerned. And you know this, too. They've got a major, major uphill battle for the next four or five years with, you know, teams like the Yankees, who aren't going anywhere these next few seasons. It's a a good lineup. Um, And the Yankees always have the money and they'll always have the the prospects and they'll always kind of keep things churning here. Tampa Bay – um, you know, Baltimore's coming around. The rest of the division here in the East is really, really tough. Uh, Toronto as well, too. So I guess, you know, Boston's just got bigger problems. So I, I don't know. I can't explain it Tab, but I, I imagine it's a, a myriad of reasons. But the white flag has gone up in Boston. So.
1: No, no, no question that it has. And, But again, if the white flag had gone up and you saw what Washington got, for Soto, to me, if I'm Heim Bloom, and to your point, your prospect depth leaves a lot to be desired, and your youth movement leaves a lot to be desired. And look, I mean, they sold their soul for their last ring, right? They went out and got Chris Sale. He got him over the hump once, but he really hasn't done anything since. Eduardo Rodriguez stepped in. He was a really good story for a year, and then it looks like you know, the long COVID has been a, a problem. He developed a heart issue after having COVID in 20. Now he's AWOL with the Tigers. There's just, they, they, they went with the big team model of buy a championship and then figure out where you go from there. And they haven't figured out where to go from there. Looking at what Soto brought back and the word of what was going on with Soto, if you're not going to keep Xander Bogart's, even in a walk year, he's the best piece you have. If you're going to burn it down, burn it down. But if you don't have a youth movement to rally around, which is what's fascinating about Bloom as their GM because he came from Tampa where paying guys and extending guys isn't the M.O. at all. So bringing in an Eric Hosmer, like good leader, he's got a great relationship with one of their top prospects, Tristan Casas, who they really believe is going to be their first baseman in the future. So maybe they're just going to have him be a first base coach and help their infielders get better. But adding old guys like Tommy Pham and Eric Hosmer is not the way to start a rebuild. Uh, And so it's going to be really fascinating offseason for them. The flip side in the National League, if you look at the wild card, you've got two teams in the East straddling the Padres right now with Atlanta five and a half up. I think that they're safe, even though they're five and five in their last ten. I joked with a couple people via text when they went out and got Robbie Grossman from Detroit. I'm like, Oh, there's your Jock Peterson ad for this year. <laughs> um, like they do stuff and you're like, what last year at the deadline, we're like, what the hell are the Braves doing? They're not going to win anything. Why are they going and getting an entirely new outfield? And then they go out and get Rosario. Who's your NLCS MVP and Jorge Soler, your world series MVP. And you're like, what the hell are they going to do? So I'll shut up about wondering what Atlanta is going to do. You've got the Padres in the second position and obviously, We can talk about them forever because they're in it to win it. And then he got a three-team logjam for that last spot. And Philadelphia uh, is an interesting piece for me. They went out and got Noah Syndergaard. We'll see what that ends up being for them in the midterm here because he's an interesting player with a lot of upside, obviously, from his time with the Mets, but he's coming back from injury. And then you've got the Cardinals and Brewers now tied at the top of the Central. Cardinals have won their last four. The Brewers have lost their last four. If you saw the interview Devin Williams did the day after the deadline in the clubhouse, it was pretty painfully clear that a lot of people in that room were not happy with the Josh Hader move. I mean, he went as far as to say, we feel like we've got a team that can do something, so why the hell would you do that? So, if you're Milwaukee, you've got to be like... Like, for all the roses that I threw at Seattle and Minnesota and San Diego for pushing their chips in and going for it, it feels like Milwaukee did the complete opposite. They did the, we're not going to win a World Series this year, so we're going to augment and try and help for the future. And then they DFA'd one of the talented young guys that they got from San Diego in the hater deal, uh, Lamette, who's massive upside but can't stay healthy. I just, I don't get it. Like, why would you trade a dominant closer for a really good closer and screw up the chemistry in the room when you didn't have to? You didn't have to do that. So, but the, uh,
0: just, I mean, it,
1: nothing about what Milwaukee did at the deadline makes any sense at all.
0: I mean, are these uh, some of these trades sometimes maybe you have to think there's maybe some personal aspects of this stuff that we'll never know. Maybe guys are no good in the locker room. Maybe there's issues that we're not going to see. Um, you know, maybe, maybe some guys don't want to go to Boston anymore. You know, maybe, maybe these GMs can't pull the trades. I
1: don't know if it's not wanting to go to Boston, but I think Boston was kind of stuck in a rock and hard place because Boston isn't a seller. And they've told you that they want to keep Devers and Bogarts. And maybe they do. And, but you don't, then you don't trade JD Martinez and maybe the market never materialized for JD. Like the Cubs front office has said that what they were asking for Wilson Contreras just didn't materialize. And to that end, I'm going to extend every middle finger I have at the New York Mets because you can't sit back and say Jacob deGrom is going to win you a World Series. And then last night, you know, you don't add a catcher, so you're still getting literally nothing from that position offensively. James McCann comes off the injured list like he's going to help. Um, And you roll out Edwin Diaz for a two-inning save, which he's never done in his career. Like, why would you start... You're hoping DeGrom is going to stay healthy. And look, he's the most dominant pitcher since Pedro, as far as I'm concerned, when he's right. But banking on him staying healthy feels like a really massive gamble, given the last two years for him. So you would think that keeping their bullpen healthy and intact is even more important because of where they are, the way that the Braves are playing and everything surrounding them, and the narrative carrying over from last year that they lost the division after holding it for four and a half months. Didn't even make the playoffs. And now the Phillies made some moves to, to get better. Um, the Braves obviously are coming. So why would you then start asking your closer, who, by the way, has been lights out for months, why would you ask him to do things that he isn't comfortable doing? Like, I just, the, a the whole Mets situation, a I don't know. Are you
0: questioning Buck Showalter? Is that what you're I'm, doing right now? I'm questioning if Dan Vogelbach
1: is the best you could have done at the deadline.
0: Hey, I'll the, the guy Met's who see, looks like he should be playing 16 Met's in softball in
1: love the north what... side of Chicago right now.
0: I love everything the Mets do. It's all good. But anyway, as always, we'll be be—we'll uh, see where they are in October, if they're still around. Well,
1: I need to ask you a question, though. Sure. And I want to wrap up the trade deadline conversation with this for you. They got rid of Gallo. Marvelous. Good for them. But the Yankees, your Yankees, they make the big deal with Oakland to go get another starting pitcher. They need that. Uh, because we find out after the deadline that Severino has been moved to the 60 day and the earliest he can come back is the end of September. So I think at this point, you know, we've talked all year, you're banking on Seve being your number two in the playoffs. And I think at this point you really can't bank on that, right? I was, what is your take as a Yankee fan on the Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader move? Because Bader's going to be mostly a, a glove ad. He's a premier uh, defensive center fielder, having watched him in St. Louis for a while. He's in a walking boot right now, so he's not giving you anything. But you would think that with Sebby going on the 60-day, having a, maybe even six stars, especially with Garrett Cole looking human his last few starts out, which, is, which ain't good, by the way, you would think that a guy like Jordan Montgomery, who's been a really good swing guy for you, becomes even more important. And you trade him for a center fielder who's, again, in a walking boat. What was your take on the Jordan Montgomery-Harrison-Bader deal? Because that one had me and, and a lot of others scratching our heads at the deadline.
0: Well, uh, the only for me, I think it's an Aaron Judge trade. Now, I don't know if this makes any sense. But, you know, I think, you know, whether it's how things work out here with Hicks or they, they, they want to get, you know, Judge out of the center field position, and um, I, I think this is just, I don't think this is a this season move. I mean, I, you know, it was the, you know, the most shocking trade out of all of them and why and all that other stuff. But, you know, he's gone, so there's nothing you can do about it. And what Boone is going to do here at the pitch and rotation and the guys they picked up from uh, the A's and everything else, and we'll see what happens and the bullpen, and, you know, it's. You know, it's, it's two days, two win. You know, they got St. Louis this weekend. We'll see once these guys start getting into the rotation here and getting a little more uh, time on the mound. But to me, I, I don't know. I, I, my only explanation is somewhere, somehow, some way, this has something to do with where, what the Yankees are going to do here with Aaron Judge. Now, take that as it may. You, you take, I'll throw that back to you. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I really don't have any other explanation that it's got something to do with what they're going to do down the road because like I said Bader's not going to be here it would have to be some kind of miraculous, you know he's how's he going to you know he, even if he came back off the boot or whatever he's got to get his swing rotation back he's got to get his legs back he's not playing this year that's not I mean, he, look he he, he he might be back he's not
1: soon and, he's not coming but, but back he, but but here again this is this is where my eyebrows raise I agree with you that Harrison Bader is a long-term play as a a premium player at a premium position center field. It gets Judge out of center field, which helps prolong him. Um, but to that end, we've talked about this since the first show of this season, this is an all or nothing year for the New York Yankees. And so that's why I, I, I question the move because making a move that has its eyes on beyond 22 feels, Counter to what the the goal should be for the New York Yankees,
0: it's got to be money. It's got to be judge. It's it's to me. It's got to be judge. It's got to be. It is,
1: it, and it, it really it, it is. But that's where the struggle comes to 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 rationalize this move. Because I understand.
0: So if it, you got to win now, yeah. Why well, make maybe this move now. So maybe maybe this is this is how I look at it, and I talked about it on the show during the season two about winning now. Maybe this, to me, is like, wow. I don't think this season is about winning now. I don't think this is what it's all about. I don't think maybe they, one way or the other, they can try and do as many things as they possibly can. And, they, and they've and they had a phenomenal year. I mean, they're 70-win team, all right? They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be in the dance, and you let it fly. But as far as... The opportunity for Cashman to do some things to to lock in or or um you know try and make this this no because you can't guarantee a World Series winner. There's just no way to do it. So maybe Yankee fans down the road, we don't win this year, we don't win next year. But if the moves that were made here and a guy like Bay, it, it, it all works out and Judge gets his contract. And as far as Yankees and dollars and fans in the seats, you know, it's a still a pretty damn good lineup here for the next couple of years one way or the other. And that's the only thing I can look at it is maybe Cashman and the organization said, you know what? We can't go over the tracks and, and just think about this year and because maybe the competition is too stacked. And I think any rational Yankee fan here will sit here and go, hmm, can we match up with Houston in the playoffs? I don't know. Did you watch the last couple of games against the Mariners? Did you watch the couple of games there against, uh, you know, the Orioles and, and come some of the stinkers? I mean, Garrett Cole here hasn't looked too sharp in his last starts. I mean, so maybe we just have to exhale here and go, all right, let's just be realist about this. And then maybe what Cashman's doing here is that they have to look post-judge signing or non-signing. There's no guarantee that he's even going to be here. And then that's going to change the makeup and maybe decisions about uh, you know all the guys on this roster may or may not be here long term one way or the other. So that's all, I mean how else do you explain it, Tab, You know,
1: and that's the thing that's I I struggle to explain it. And one last nugget because there's uh, there's another big story that we got to jump on here. But I feel uh, bad for Kansas City Royals fans, and I don't know what the hell's wrong with the Royals organization, but they've got a couple guys that they traded out of town, a couple veterans who didn't play in Canada, didn't play in other places because they refused to get vaccinated. Andrew Benintendi and Whit Merrifield. No one thought Whit Merrifield would ever go. And then they finally trade him and he goes to Toronto, which I think is a magnificent ad for them. I don't know how or where he fits in the lineup and defensively, but great ad for them, especially for the post season. Benintendi to the Yankees. Um, and both of them are like, oh, sure, I'll get a shot. That's cool. You didn't do it for the Royals.
0: Because it, it's, it's the Royals. Coming to but, the Bronx. See, I mean, we don't have to do a side show. To I mean, there's too many Yankee shows out there. But it's, there's, there's, you know, outside of the pinstripes, you know, guys look at New York and whether they, even if they, all, and all the guys who didn't make it here, they got banked. So even you come here, you try it, you make some money, if it doesn't work, you get the hell out.
1: You know? But, but again, Mer- but Mer- and I, I get it with Benintendi going to the Yankees because that's an opportunity to go to the best team in baseball. He's going to turn be it around, a difference too. Made- it's great. It's fine. But go- Merrifield going to Toronto? Same deal. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, you know, if you're the Royals, you're like, why wouldn't you do
0: it for us? WTF, man. Because Toronto has a chance to get a ring. <laughs> if, they yeah. get the- if they get in the playoffs, which they will. Yep. I mean, you know, you, you know, we had a little hockey talk before the show today, which me and Tab do uh often, and we were talking about like a city like Calgary and some of the players i not want to go there. It's gotta be the same in baseball too. There's some places where guys just don't wanna stay and hang out and play. I mean, I'm sure Kansas City's a beautiful city. Um I I've I've driven through there, you know, and even as a millionaire, I don't know. It's that place where I wanna be, settle down with my family? It's gotta be tough for some of these markets. To keep these guys. Because back in the days when uh, George Brett and all those guys were playing and stuff, it was different. The money was different. It was just about yep. playing and having a job. You know, Tab, more than anything right now, it's more than just the job. And it's in football. It's in basketball, too. It is bank, and I want to win. Yep.
1: Yep. But I, I just I feel for the Royals because the the, the blunt acknowledgment of that like, yeah, you know, I'll get a shot. That's cool. And you just got to kind of look at yourself like, well, what the hell, man? Why not for us? Anyway, um, lots <laughs> of good stuff. The, I think the next two months we will be speaking about the ramifications of the trade deadline and what it's going to mean to all of the involved parties. Um, and how you got a lot of breathe a little really bit. Right? A little couple do. of
0: weeks going here.
1: Yeah. You, what you got to get the, the, the buzz from, you know, let. Soto and Bell and Hayter and Drury settling in San Diego. You got to let the dust settle with Ben Benintendi getting his hair did for the Yankees debut and everything else. So we'll keep remixing this stuff. We didn't want to spend a ton of time on the Soto deal, but I do think that some teams position themselves really well for where they're going to go from here. Um, and before we get to uh, our weekly fantasy ad of the week, uh, Paulie and I wanted to spend a little bit of time Talking about uh, some news that I think many felt was inevitable, but it doesn't make it easier to deal with, and that is the passing of Vin Scully, uh, who was a legend. Uh, and I think I he's one of those guys that I feel like legend sells him short. And within a couple days, sports fans lost two icons: Bill Russell, you know, in oh, the yeah. NBA, and then. Vince Scully for the Dodgers. And, you know, it was tongue in cheek, uh, a text message that I got, um, that, uh, who uh, transplanted to San Diego because of military service who adopted the Padres as his team. And he just half jokingly texted me, the Padres go get Soto. And how do the Dodgers steal the headlines? Scully dies. (laughs) Um, Not right. And literally, MLB Network spent more time rightfully discussing the life and legacy of Vince Scully than even the massive Juan Soto deal. Uh, But, Paul, I'll I'll throw it to you. You know, when you look back at Vince Scully, you know, what what is your what are your thoughts and and what's kind of your takeaway from everything that you've seen and heard, most importantly, heard? Uh, and read about the incredible man and uh, voice that was Vin Scully. Uh
0: instantly, it's a, it's it's my childhood. It's the the golden age of sports. Uh, Vin from the old old days of uh, uh, you know old time baseball uh, through the modern era. Um, old time radio, old time TV shows. When we were kids and stuff like that, it's it's over magnified now. It's uh, with apps and twenty five thousand different podcasts and sports networks and twenty four hour coverage and everything else. You know, back then when you grew up as a kid, you know, you you, um, you th- that's all you had. You had the radio and you had five TV channels, uh, and then you had uh, this week in baseball, Mel Allen, and then this is how you heard guys like Vince Scully back in the day. Uh, just reminds me of uh, you know, like I said, the golden age of, of radio. Um, a, a standout voice. Uh, the great thing about Vince Scully too is is that he not only did baseball, he had magical calls in other sports. I think that's something when you read back on um, you know his life and uh, some of the things that he's done. He's he has not just been uh, the Dodgers play by play guy. Um, you know, God, he started here in, in, with the Brooklyn Dodgers. I mean, just think how long he goes back. Uh, a good human being, uh, a great advocate for sports, a great advocate for people being good out there. Um, I had the pleasure of interviewing Doc Emmerich years ago on my old hockey show. And I'll never forget uh, Doc spending. And he won the Vince Scully Award. And Doc Emmerich is one of the most, you know, uh, incredible sports announcers, not only in hockey, but just in general. And a guy, another guy who just carries himself so well, very respected. And to hear a guy of that caliber just be so honored above all the games, all the experience, all the travel, all the people, all the stories Doc Emmerich has been through and, and had. And I remember him just going out of his way, being so honored to win the Vince Scully Award. So that's Vince Scully, obviously, in the professional aspect of it in terms of his um, his colleagues and mentors and everything else, what he's meant to the game, and anybody who's in sports broadcasting to begin with. And then you have all the memories of all the great calls in all the sports. And for me, it's um, class, professionalism, and a great reminder of the great days gone by because I think they're they're gone. And when a guy like Vince Scully dies, just a part of our history, sports history, just kind of you know fades away, and um, you just hope, like I said, places like the, the Baseball Hall of Fame and the rest of us who grew up in those days as kids, um, and our parents and our grandparents before that, just remember to keep uh, continuing with the story and the legacy of guys like this. Because unfortunately, uh, we're, we're losing a lot of guys like that. But I will say this for the future: Vince Scully has trained and mentored a ton of guys, and a ton of guys look up to this guy. So a lot of guys in all the sports, um, there'll be you know there are some great broadcasts that will continue. But that's it for me for uh, Vince Scully. Just it, there's not enough time here to rave and. Uh, uh, rave about him uh, enough it's just said that he's gone
1: yeah um, you know if you go to Our Esquina E-S-Q-U-I-N-A uh, there was an incredible column that was written uh, about how for many Latinos in the Southern California area how Vin Scully was their English as a second language teacher yeah <laughs> and you know The idea, and look, I had it framed to me this way by someone a number of years ago, and I was mindful of it when he passed. Uh, A buddy of mine from L.A., not Dennis Bernstein, uh, but we had to get in one DB reference this week. Um, (laughs) But another friend of mine uh, who uh, grew up in L.A. Dodger fan, we were kind of talking about waxing poetic about the history of the game. And I brought up a, as someone that enjoys the mystique and the lore and the history of Wrigley Field, I said, you know, what's, what I struggle with with the renovations at Wrigley Field and, and Fenway in Boston is when you put the video boards up and you tweak the way that the outfield looks and everything else, um, before all that was there, you could walk into the ballpark and say to yourself, close your eyes and say, this is what it looked like when Babe Ruth pointed and hit a home run at Wrigley Field. And this is what it looked like when Ted Williams hit one 8,000 feet, right? And the idea that those two stadiums in the eyes of many fans have been the constants through more than a hundred years of baseball really makes them impressive. And this friend of mine said, respectfully, your grandma went to the game and told you about seeing Hack Wilson or Williams or Yastrzemski, and your parents went and saw Ernie Banks and Wade Boggs and Yaz and all the great players, Louis Tiant. Uh, but, But what makes the Dodger fan experience so unique is Dodger fans have listened to the same voice from Jackie Robinson to Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, it's amazing. With Koufax and Drysdale and Gibson and Hershiser and Fernando Mania, all the way up through the current generation, it's been the same voice describing the action. And so that I think one of the things, and we talked about this last week when I was – getting misty-eyed over going to Cooperstown and falling in love with the game again through the eyes of my son and his travel team. But, you know, to borrow from James Earl Jones, the one constant through all the years for Dodger fans was the voice of Vince Scully telling him about the game. And to hear guys like Steve Sachs and Oral Hershiser tear up, to, to hear Jaime Harin, who's been the Spanish-language voice, for almost as long talk about the friendship that they had off the field and what Scully meant to a guy who was a Spanish-language broadcaster before that was a thing. And it still isn't a thing in a lot of cities, which is a massive miss for baseball and every professional sport, whole other soapbox. But you know, just the legacy that he leaves behind, talking about his personal relationship with Jack Robinson and his personal relationship with Clayton Kershaw and the fact that he was the fabric that tied – the entirety of the history of the Dodgers in Los Angeles together is really breathtaking. And so I saw on Twitter that he had passed. I immediately put on the MLB network, poetically, the Dodgers were playing the Giants, Scully's first favorite team, uh, in San Francisco where he called his last game in 2016. Uh, And to hear how emotional the broadcasters of the Giants broadcast were uh, to hear Ernie Johnson, who's so great at his job, talk about it, and obviously Ernie's been around the game for a long time as well, um, but to hear how much he meant to others you know, who aspire to be even in the same field of profession, not even the same conversation as Vince Scully, was amazing. And and one final thought, you know, John Shostakovsky, good friend of mine, the vice president of communications and education at the Hall of Fame, tweeted that, Uh, Vince Scully was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame and went on to broadcast for 33 more years after his induction. That's just, there isn't enough, that's not next level because there isn't a level for that. So, uh, you know, my my hope is that we wrap Bob Uecker and Jaime Harin in bubble wrap and hang on to them for as long as we can. You know, and our listeners know my affinity for Ukes uh, and how much I love him. But you're right, you know, I think, Joe Buck, uh, who is a bit of a polarizing voice, did a really nice job of of eulogizing him and saying that for him, the son of Jack Buck, who I think is in that class, (laughs) to say that for him as the son of Jack Buck, who grew up in that world, uh, this is the passing of someone in that great radio voice. You know, when you talk about Ernie Harwell, Jack Buck, Harry Carey, Mel Allen, You're right. Like there were national voices and now we get so accustomed to churning through guys on national broadcasts every few years and churning through voices on local broadcasts. But it used to be, you got one game a week and you were getting Mel Allen or you were getting Jack Buck or you were getting uh, Vince Scully on so many of those calls. And his, his voice is one that we will tie to so many iconic moments. And he really is one of the voices that will tie the history of the game together for folks. So uh, so I think both of us, you know, extend our condolences to his family and Dodger Nation for that loss. Uh, and obviously the Dodgers have uh, somewhat heavy hearts, uh, as the guys that got to know him over years, like a Kershaw, got to experience that a little bit. Um, but it, it, it's tough to see history go away. Uh, and he obviously retired, but he jumped on Twitter in the last couple of years and shared his stories and was still such a magnificent storyteller. So, um, For those of us that love the history of the game, you know, as they said in the Sandlot Legends, never die. And uh, his voice will live on forever. And, you know, I think the Hall of Fame uh, preserves the history of the game so incredibly well that we'll be blessed as baseball fans to never miss his voice, but we'll miss the smile. Uh, And when it's time for Dodger baseball, it will mean more for Dodger fans to know that it's time for Dodger baseball, knowing that, uh, that his voice started every broadcast that way. So... Big point to the sky for Vin Scully.
0: Absolutely here. Cheer, cheers. No doubt about it. All right, Tab, as we walk out the door here of the stadium, Vin Scully will definitely be missed, no doubt about it. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little more, hopefully, about Vin going forward here as we pop back and forth following the Dodgers and some memories here. But, Tab, you're, um, give us your fantasy pick here real quick before we uh, head out the door and close the, close the concession stand, and turn off the lights, and lock the gates here.
1: Nothing long-winded this week. Go get Tommy Pham in Boston. I think that the dimensions are going to play well for him. That's it? Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham, Boston Red Sox. All right. He's available in half of Yahoo Fantasy Leagues. Go get him.
0: (laughs) Sounds good. I'm penciling him myself. All right, folks, thanks so much. Follow us everywhere at Line Drive Radio. Appreciate you guys tuning in every week. We'll be back next week with some more baseball talk. So until then, play ball!